Thank you for joining us today on Church of the Valley of Santa Clara's Playlist. Today, we're going to continue our series, In the Beginning, Jesus. We've been talking a lot about the why behind the book of Genesis, and for many of us, what we study today will be the beginning to how many of us view the story of the Bible, but it wasn't. As we have studied up to today, we have seen God preparing and refining and creating and sustaining the opportunity for life. And as we have seen, we as mankind were not first, but we also were not an afterthought. And as we will see today in the scripture reading, the creation of man and woman of mankind was the most important and dearest to God's creation. And as we've been walking through Genesis 1 thus far and have found ourselves today at Genesis chapter 1 verse 24, what we, we are not going to begin there specifically in verse 24. We're actually going to begin in verse 26. We're going to go back to the future. Well, not exactly. But I want to begin with verse 26 because since we are studying the why as we walk through the first book of the Bible, I think verse 26 does a good job of explaining the why of verses 24 and 25. So here's what it says in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So as we are about to read, God created fish and birds and livestock and reptiles and insects and other animals with the intent that mankind would rule over them. But look at verse 24 now with me. Here's what it says. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God, the master creator, was creating life in animals from the land that they were produced, and God speaks them into existence from the ingredients he chooses to use. And all of these different type of animals that we did and will read will be subservient to mankind. In verse 25, it says, God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. So here's where I'm a bit stuck. And I don't like admitting this. And it's probably one of the harder things about attempting to teach the book of Genesis with specifically a gospel lens, knowing where we're headed, looking at the entire book of the Bible, and not just the beginning, but knowing the direction and the end result, I come to this passage and read over and over where God says, according to their kinds. And here's what I don't like about this. I don't really know what the author intended. Usually when we come to a passage about something, there is a general consensus of scholars indwelled with the Holy Spirit who God has given to the church and given to us to shed light when we are lost in a passage, or maybe don't really understand the passage all that well. We can take context and author and audience and language into account, and not that we can't do that here, but as I have read, there isn't a view that usually is accepted amongst scholars that can't really be argued about pretty easily. But as Mike and I talked about this, Here's what I'd like us to see. Rather than attempt to find an answer for a question I really don't think we need to put all our effort into attempting to ask or answer, God created different species of animals that we tend to learn about, most of them in school and throughout life, and some we can name by sight, and some are types of animals you only heard about once, and unless some sports team or school makes it their mascot, you probably wouldn't know what it was. And God creates these species of animals that he cares about. 
He gives Adam the job of naming and many upon many continue to exist today. I think that's where I want to leave it. Rather than geeking out, which is fine to do if you have that kind of free time, but I want to unashamedly, unapologetically point us to the gospel. And as we will see in just a moment, we can do that. The gospel is far more about what man cannot do themselves and what God can accomplish through us once we believe that. So let's keep going. Verse 26 again, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let us, plural, make mankind in our, plural, image. What a powerful representation of something that can be misinterpreted so easily. Let us, as we talked in the first week of the series, as God created the heavens and the earth, let us does not point out many gods, but God, one God, in three persons, which for people all over the world, Christians included, is a difficult thing to understand, and for many, a cause of disbelief and or argument against the fundamentals of the faith of Christianity. God being one, but being in three persons, is something that must be seen through the lens of the entire scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation. From all three persons of God being present at Jesus' baptism, to the Spirit of God hovering over the waters as God creates, and the apostolic confirmation that all things were created by Jesus, who has always been, according to Colossians chapter 1. If we take into account the totality of Scripture, it is easier to see that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have always existed, but the dance, if you will, is seeing how they were all one while being distinct persons of what we know as the Trinity, and in perfect relationship with one another. God is love is a statement that many upon many make. But a point that has been made since the beginning of that statement being made is that love must require more than oneself. And so even before we came into the picture, you and I, before mankind existed, God was more than one person. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is love amongst the Trinity and amongst his creation, which includes you and I. So as I've stated before, his perfect union within the Trinity does not mean that he was lonely or that when we were created, it was to fill a void in God's heart that he did not have within the Trinity. But God in his goodness created man, as he will say in just a moment, to fill the earth and subdue it. So does God need us? Well, if I'm going to be really honest, no. See, we are dependent upon him, not the other way around. God created us in his image. We did not create him in our image. Nor does he need us to take care of him as if he were to retire. See, God doesn't retire. And if so, if I say no, he doesn't need us, but he wants us, which I think is where I think we would tend to assume, that may cause some of us to still, without meaning to, think that he is dependent upon us, and that just isn't the case. But oh, does our God care about us. But like our unborn baby girl, Finley, who is due at the end of March, we don't need her. 
but man, do I care about her already, even though I haven't really experienced her. I haven't met her other than my hand being on my, my wife's belly and her kicking me or just all the different changes in our life because she is currently being grown inside of my wife's body. And what an encouragement that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit care for me. They care for you, for those around you. But our image is one of the most important points that God makes about his own triune personhood in the Trinity, not about us and our image, but the fact that God created us in our image, meaning himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I don't know how you grew up seeing the Trinity, but if you are a Christian, this is a foundational belief that followers of Christ share. As Jesus spoke of this, experienced this in his own baptism, and was part of, which throughout Scripture alludes and points out, God being in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I also want to point out that God creates man in our image, signifying the Trinity, but he goes on to say in our likeness, which makes known the fact that this cannot mean that God means that us includes angels or celestial beings. Because man is not made in an image of an angel, but God became man, which is a fundamental truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and a differing view from all other religions. For many religions, they propose that man can become God if they're good enough or that God acted as a man but did not actually adopt flesh and blood or that there are many gods. And I get why that can become confusing and very convoluted as some read the scriptures. But the gospel of grace, as we've said many times, is not about us. It's about him, all about him. God the Father creating mankind and a plan to redeem us after we broke our relationship with him. God the Son being the perfect sacrifice in our place and God the Spirit raising Jesus from the dead and removing the veil from people's eyes to respond in faith to the grace that has been offered to us by God. So we, mankind, are made in God's image, the likeness of God. Something we talk often about as a church is that we want to grow into the likeness of Jesus. This is not a new thing. This is a restorative thing because when God created us, we were meant to be made in his likeness. But as we will study in Genesis chapter 3, our relationship to God is fractured as soon as we decide that his ways are not our ways, that they're not the ways that we want to go. I can't wait to walk us through how much, once we study our sin nature in Genesis chapter 3, how much this broken world and how messed up everything is actually makes sense for so many different things. But that's another day. But I want to remind us, in this post-Genesis 3 world, in this post-death and resurrection of Jesus's, Jesus' world that we live in, that we come to Christ, our relationship with God is restored. Not we begin to work our way back to God if we've believed in Christ or that we have a chance to be forgiven. Our debt is paid. Our righteousness is gifted to us. Our forgiveness is final for past present and future sins. That's what a big deal Jesus' death and resurrection are. And you may hear that and wonder, well, that seems like a good plan. I'll believe, and then I can do whatever I want. Listen, salvation is free, 
It costs you nothing because you did nothing to receive it. But salvation leads to discipleship because you are not just saved from eternity without God, you are saved to follow Jesus Christ, equipped and empowered by the gift of God the Spirit, and that will cost you your life. So to make it simple, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. We become a new creation, but that new creation has a new priority, and it's God's glory. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 24 through 26, Jesus is speaking to the disciples and a crowd of people who had been following him, seeing him do miracles, doing amazing things. And then Jesus spoke some pretty hard words to those who pretended that they were following him. Jesus said it this way to the disciples, whomever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? We as a community have gone through it this past year. It has not all been easy. There have been so many different emotions I've experienced personally, and I'm sure so many of you have as well. But the thing about our God is that he is with us. He is our firm foundation. He doesn't leave us or forsake us, but don't get it twisted. Following him is not easy at all. Trusting him when a family member is sick, praising him when you are financially struggling, being consistent to not only spend time in his word and prayer, but to actually want to when it seems like you just can't get ahead in anything, it seems impossible. And what does Jesus say? He says, deny yourself. Seems pretty harsh in our 2000 or 2021 Western culture understanding of anything. Deny yourself. Because everything that we read, everything that we're taught, seems to be about propping ourselves up, making much of us as individuals. And here Jesus says, deny yourself. What does he know? He's so not culturally relevant, huh? Well, only if you want to be his disciple will you deny yourself. If you don't, don't. It's as simple as that. But salvation is not something that comes without life change, and life change happens through the gospel. And the gospel changes our hopes and changes our dreams. The gospel changes our priority list. It changes our agenda. The gospel changes our need to be the point, because Jesus is the point. As we strive to love God who first loved us with obedience, this is not a burden, but a privilege. And we are not rewarded with our own planet or become our own deity, but we have our lives restored into relationship with Christ. And through his grace, we grow to look more like Jesus, not only through time, but through grace-driven effort that is all done because of what God has done for us, because the gospel is the why we would deny ourselves in the first place. So as we were created in their image, God being one God in three persons, we become a representation of God on earth. That doesn't make us gods. We are not gods ourselves. We are made in the image of God. We represent Christ. Image and likeness, these words that that God uses in the beginning of Genesis, they're synonyms. In the Old Testament, the, the, the same word is used a few places, and they tend to describe a statue. Think Nebuchadnezzar. 
And we are placed on earth to rule over it. We are the continuation of rule. As God is done with his creation, we do not have God's authority to create things out of nothing, to speak things into existence, but we do have God's responsibility entrusted to us to steward the world that he has created. When my oldest begins to drive, I will hand her the keys to my truck. She does not become the owner of that truck. The pink slip will not have her name on it. She simply stewards it while it is in her possession. Now let's get real. I'm not letting her drive my truck, but the analogy makes sense, right? And in chapter two of Genesis, God says that man is to take care of the garden in verse 15, to name the animals in verse 20. And we are given a job to steward what the Lord has made. But you know who is the perfect image of God? You know who the perfect image of God is? Real quick, think about this. Yes, you're right. It's our king and his name is Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the son is the image of the invisible God. And you and I get to be restored or recreated in Christ. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And we are made into this new creation. What our sin nature fractured, the Son of God restores. And we, brothers and sisters in Christ, be because of God's grace, then become conformed into the image of the Son, Romans 8 verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So here we are. God creates mankind in our image, in our likeness they are created, not man in man's image, or God in man's image, but we in God's image, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that mankind may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Now he says, he rather than our, which points out that God is doing the creating. God is at work. He is three persons, but one God. And he created both man and woman. In chapter two, we will hear about the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. But here is this 30,000 foot view of what God will make, because in the next verse, he gave more instruction to why mankind exists. According to verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over every living creature that moves on the ground. God blessed them. He wished prosper upon them. He said, be fruitful and increase in number. Now here's some, some people tend to read the Bible, not only without the gospel lens, but especially without a heavenly lens. God's original plan for man and woman to be in relationship, to be fruitful. Now, I'm not going to unpack exactly what that means for everyone in this sermon, but children, feel free to ask your parents. I'm sure that will be a very fun conversation for you guys to have. But prior to sin, this was God's intention for his creation, for mankind to reproduce in relationship, to bring more and more mankind onto earth 
to subdue the earth. But here we are in a post-fallen world, Genesis 3, and a post-death and resurrection of Jesus world. And sin has entered into the fray. Jesus has paid the price for us, but this messed up, bizarro world that we live in is not perfect. It is not how God intended. And so where this verse can be misunderstood is that something is wrong with someone that cannot reproduce physically. Listen, as your friend, as your pastor, as someone who has been redeemed by Christ, someone who has been gifted with the Holy Spirit of God and cares deeply about what God says in his word, in the context in which it's said, don't listen to that lie from the deceiver and snake. Sin fractured this world. And if you are in a place where you feel less than in any way, I want you to lay that down. I want you to know that God's timing and ways bring him glory. And if you have been praying and praying for a child or praying and praying for anything that is good and pleasing to God, God hears you. And sometimes his answer is no. And sometimes his answer is just not yet. But being fruitful means making disciples, disciplined pupils who love and follow Jesus Christ. Because if the gospel is true, then it truly changes the person who believes it. And being fruitful for God's kingdom can mean you have your own child and you raise them up in the truth of the Lord. But it can also and often does mean that you invest in other people's offspring. One of the largest blessings of my life has been to put into practice God's word with other people. To sit down, to open up God's word together, to read it, to dissect it, to talk about it, to spur one another on to obey it, and to root for and celebrate when each of us actually puts into practice what God is teaching us. That has been my motive since I became a pastor. It's been to make disciples of Jesus with those who grew up in the church and with those who wanted nothing to do with God. And the fruitfulness has translated to a church of people that will never be able to stand before God one day and say, I didn't know that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. What? I had no idea that Jesus lived and died for my sins and then rose again. You'll never be able to use the excuse that you were not told that it's, not, that it's all about Jesus and submitting to him because while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And by being the pastor of this church, it has allowed me to know people in all stages of physical lives and spiritual lives. I have dedicated your children. I have prayed with you as you've lost a child. I've baptized you and I've prayed with you after you got arrested. I've done your premarital counseling and I've performed your wedding. I've invested in you and done a family member's funeral. The ministry is pretty all-encompassing. And even though not all of us do the same profession as maybe I do as the pastor at COV, we as followers of Jesus have a responsibility to steward the people and the resources that God provides us for his glory and his renown. And so don't hear be fruit, fruitful and then think you're excluded because you haven't been able to reproduce or you have an excuse because you're not married. As a son or daughter in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, we have a role to play in filling the earth with God's message of grace 
and helping others understand and know our triune God. We know this in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, when Jesus gives the great commission to the disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I was created to worship. So were you. I was created to praise. So were you. I was created to bring honor and praise to my creator, and nothing excites me more than to know that God not only has a plan for my life, but he has a plan for all of his children's lives, and it is to be fruitful and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ. God brought mankind into earth that he created so he would fill it and subdue it. Subdue means to have dominion over or to bring something into subjection underneath, which is used later on in the book of Numbers. But here it seems to intend that man and woman would subdue the earth by using its resources for the benefit of mankind, that we would investigate and that we would develop the resources at hand for the furthering of mankind while our relationship becomes more and more familiar with God and with one another. Verse 29, Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. Again, God preparing and sustaining of life on earth is part of his nature to provide and give sustenance to his creation. Verse 30, And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. Up until this point, there was no sin, there was no death, and the plants and seeds and resources were given so mankind and animals of all kinds could survive and have what they needed to grow. But there was an order of things. Plants and fruits and vegetables and things that grow naturally from the ground were given to sustain life. And then verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And with all that he made, it was good. It was without blemish. Even after creating mankind, it was good. This is why Genesis chapter 3 is so tragic, because all that God had made in these six days were good, and they were right, and they were complete. They, after making all that he had, once he made mankind, they were very good, he says. Not they being us, but that God made what he made and it was very good. And as we will see on the seventh day, there was a time of celebration from the completion of creation. One of the most beautiful things about the sixth day is that God prepared in advance the opportunity for life through the animals and the plants, the water, the land, the light, the darkness. God was intentional in his creation and wonderful in his timing. And here, man and woman are created so that we, God's children, God's offspring, can commune and connect with God himself. And as we all know, this gets messed up. It gets fractured. But the gospel truth that continues to come up in my mind is that what was fractured, God can and does restore. 
years ago, our community groups director, Karen Miller, and I were working at a different church together, and we were having a discussion about faith and repentance. And as we discussed this, I, I, we were talking about it, we're studying scripture. I came to this realization for me that is probably true of many people as well, that there are two dates that are very significant for a person who is a believer in Jesus Christ. The date that we believed, for me, that was June 13th, 2001, in the middle of a church service while the worship pastors sang, shout to the Lord, I encountered God in my head and in my heart in a way I had never done before. That was the day I believed. But at least for me, there was another substantial date that really shouldn't be a different date at all on the calendar, but it was for me. It was the date that I repented. That was actually June 1st, 2010. As I found out that my father had passed away and I sat down and I realized that my dad had died without Christ and I started to get angry with God. And he quietly and lovingly made me realize that in the nine or so years I had believed in him, I hadn't really laid down my own priorities. I hadn't laid down my own way of doing things. I don't mean I will, uh, that I was super moral. If that's what you're shooting for to justify yourself, you swing and miss every single time. We're not talking about morality. But I still had believed in God on my own terms. I had faith in the God I wanted to believe in, but I hadn't laid down my hopes and my dreams. I hadn't denied myself and picked up my cross. And not denying and not denying or dying to myself and being raised new in Christ, yeah, I had believed, but I had believed in vain. But in this moment, after my dad had died, after I had had this conversation with God, as I shook my fists at him, I repented. I turned around. I stopped making God about me, and I wanted to make myself about God, to be transformed and renewed and reconciled and recreated in him. So maybe, friend, you've done all the right religious things in your mind. Maybe you feel as if something is missing. Something isn't enough. Christ seems like a vague and distant leader in your life. Turn around, friend. Turn around because no matter how far you've ran from God, no matter how many things you've done that have been against him, as soon as you turn around, he's right there to meet you. Turn around and repent. Confess that you are sinful and you need him to recreate you. You need him to sustain you. You need him to restore you and you need him to transform you. That prayer, that prayer will hurt. The change will not come easy, but you'll experience God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not a cheap imitation that you can keep at arm's length away from you. So I don't know how each of you are doing today. I don't know how everyone who is part of Church of the Valley is doing, and I kind of hate that. But as we continue to shelter in place, at least for now, I want you to see the beauty in God's original plan, how we were created. It was very good. Before sin entered into the narrative, God was making something beautiful, and it was very good. And you and I, even though we have been infected by sin, we do not have to be defined by our sin. Because our defining comes from a Savior and Lord who calls us to himself, who took us from death to life to follow him as our life's mission and to be restored into what was the original plan of mankind. 
his image, his likeness. So with that, I just want to point out a few things. We do takeaway calls, which most of you know, at 1130. And over the past few weeks, we've had more and more people join the takeaway call. And it has been awesome. But if you've ever been in a community group at COV, you've heard one of our guidelines, and it's don't be that guy. And so even though it's not too bad, we have more and more people joining. It's great. But here's what we do on the takeaway call. It is to process what we've learned in the playlist. It is to share with other people, not what we studied somewhere else, not all of those things, but to share, hey, what has God taught you here? Because honestly, we grow and encourage one another as we get to process and share with one another what God is teaching us. So please join us on the call. I want to be respectful of people's time. And so please jump on the call. Don't be that guy. Share your takeaway and be encouraged by what others are learning. Second, community groups. Community groups started this past week. It was a sweet time. I've gotten a bunch of different uh, people that have talked to me about how nice it was to be in a group. And I just want to encourage you, if you haven't signed up, what are you waiting for? Do it. This is a sweet way to be able to spur one another on towards the gospel. But also, if you signed up for a group and for whatever reason it does not work, maybe the scheduling isn't a good time or maybe you'll just use that as the excuse. That's fine. I'd encourage you to look for another group and try to join a group because we want to grow together and we want to know how people are doing. And our community group leaders have been equipped and they care about you. And so I'd encourage you to join that, hopefully this week. Uh, almost last, offering. Offering is something we do at Church of the Valley. It is a way that we worship. Did you know that worship is not just singing, but worship is sacrifice and it is this disposition to say, it's all you, God, and it's not me. And so offering is one of the ways that we do this. And so if you're growing at Church of the Valley, I want to encourage you, you can give of your offering by writing a check and mailing it to the church campus. The address will be on the screen, or you can also go on our website and pay through PayPal or some other way that is on the website. And I'd encourage you to do so if this is the place that you believe you are growing and that the gospel is being preached. I'd encourage you to give, not because we're, we're begging for your money, but because it is an act of worship that God's people do because we realize that everything is God's and we give back a percentage. So I want to pray for us. And I know as we've come into the new year and things have changed uh, around the country, especially this past week, that there are some people that are doing really well with everything, some that are not. And so I want to pray for us as a community and ask that God would give his blessing, his want for us to prosper in this season, even while things aren't exactly the way that we would want. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your grace. And I thank you for your goodness. And I thank you that even after we have been dealing with what we have with the pandemic for the past almost year, God, you are good and that has not changed and we will not waver from that truth. And I pray, God, that you would give us uh, the endurance to sustain some of the inconveniences and some of the frustrations, but also, God, that you would give us a want and a heart to care for those that are hurting more than we are. God, would you use this time for your glory? Would you use the offering for your glory? Would you use the community groups and the takeaway call and everything that we do as a community to bring glory to your name? Because God, you are so good. And so thank you for this opportunity today to study what the world was like as you created man before sin entered into the fray. God, thank you that you're a good God who creates good things. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.